You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today, we have got a fantastic guest. She is creative and has an eye for entertainment. The guests at her fair absolutely adore. She's been booking entertainment at the Washington Fair for just about 10 years. This is Andrea Thayer. Andrea, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am glad I could get you on the show today, and and I'm happy we've decided to continue the podcast. I think there's a lot of stories around our industry that so long as this pandemic is rolling on, I think these stories need to be told, and I'm looking forward to hearing your 2020 story. But before we do that, give us a little background on you. How did you get involved with fairs? Okay. Well, that's a story from about 20 years ago. I randomly answered a one-line newspaper ad for a marketing assistant job and stumbled upon walking into what was then the Puyallup Fair and had no background in fairs before that, never showed an animal, never entered a fair, and really fell in love with the job, got, you know, got hired, worked in marketing for about nine years, and then was promoted to the entertainment manager about 10 years ago. So that's my fair story, which is a little different than many others. Now tell us about your Washington State Fair. When do y'all run? What's your typical attendance? Yeah, so the State Fair runs in September over 24 days. So we're 20 days in a 24-day period, and we see over a million people annually there. And then we also have the Washington State Spring Fair in April, which is three and a half days, and we see about 150,000 people in that three and a half day run also. That's a lot of people for three and a half days. I mean, well, yes, we are the kickoff to spring. (laughs) Excellent. And, and having done that year fair before back when it was known by a different name, the Puyallup fair, um, I I can tell you that was my first major fair that I did back in, I think it was 2010. And I remember, yep, it was 2010 because Sarah was pregnant. She was due with Nate in December and we were very excited to have our first major fair. And I just remember walking onto that fairgrounds almost being overwhelmed by just how large it is. It yes. is a, it's a fantastic rounds. You put together a lot of great entertainment. And over the years, you certainly learned a lot as an entertainment manager. What do you think you know now as an entertainment manager that would have been helpful if you'd known it 10 years ago when you started? You know, I think that if I had known 10 years ago when I started just to be frank and transparent with entertainers as I was looking at proposals and talking with them about potential bookings, that probably would have saved me a lot of headaches in the early years. I think that we all crave an answer and me being just kind of a people pleaser and a nice person never wanted to tell anyone no right out. And that's hard, I think, for someone on the other side of the coin, trying to book gigs and dates, not knowing, especially when you're talking about a pretty extensive run of a fair, if someone can't tell you yes or no. And I luckily had a mentor in the entertainment industry that sat me down and told me that no is the second favorite answer he hears because it allows him to move forward 
And it kind of gave me that out of, I don't have to be that nice person all the time in my mind, because actually being kind and clear is important. And that means telling people no sometimes. Yeah. I can tell you as an entertainer, no is this, I I always prefer yes, (laughs) but no (laughs) is the absolute second best thing you can tell me, especially when you're talking about a fair of your size, you know, if you were a five day fair, it might not be such an issue, but with your length of your fair, any entertainer, especially if they're coming in the full run, is going to have to block out an entire month on their schedule. So while they're holding out is, you know, Andrew, you're going to call me, they might be turning down and losing opportunities, three, four, five other fairs. So the sooner as an entertainment director, someone can say no, absolutely the better, because then I, I don't, I don't know about other people. Maybe they take a personal, I don't No is the be- one of the best things you can tell me if it's not yes. Yes. And I think I learned that. Whereas I thought coming from my customer service background in the marketing end, no would just put kind of that stamp on the relationship and not really allow it to carry on. And I realized, nope, that's actually the best way to develop a great professional relationship with an entertainer is just to be honest and to have those transparent conversations. Yes. It's I, from an entertainer's perspective, I can tell you it's incredibly helpful. I mean, I now feel like I have a relationship with you where you know what I do. And one of these years when you're like, you know what, Robert's going to be perfect for that building or Robert's going to be perfect uh, in that area. You'll call me. I don't need to keep bugging and, and chasing you for years and years and annoying you. You, if you're ready, you'll bring me back. And I just let leave it at that. It makes life much easier. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting comment that you make because I think unknown to a lot of people, you do build a relationship by having that connection and that constant contact, but that contact can be different, right? You and I can just have a general conversation and it's not about booking and, and selling. It's about just what are you up to now? What are you developing? And I keep those things. And I think a lot of entertainment buyers do keep those things in the back of their mind. And you'll be surprised how many people I've gone back to four or five years later and have said, oh, now's the time. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I need, I need to know your dates and your availability. And it's because of having that more relaxed relationship. Uh, it works well. Yeah, I agree. And I think my, I kind of pivoted off that, you know, are, are we booking? Do you, do you need me at this year's fair? I probably, I don't know, five or six years ago. And I think in that time, that's helped me. I don't think this podcast would be happening if I hadn't, because I would have developed a reputation as the guy who's, I've always got the agenda, but is he going to try and hustle me to get booked? I mean, but I've got you on the show. I've got Michelle Richards, the CEO of OC Fair that comes on the show. I've got a lot of really like big name people within the fair industry that would not have given me the time of day if that's what I was rolling. And it's really easy. It's been nice to have these conversations with people like you or Michelle Richards or Courtney Conkle, where I'm not worrying about getting booked. It's just not a concern for me right now. And it really, I mean, it should be, I'm in the middle of a pandemic. I'd like to get something on a calendar, but you know, the fact is nobody knows what's happening moving forward from this pandemic. And I think having a relaxed relationship with fairs is absolutely the way to go because fairs are going to remember that. And it might not be when we open, 
it might not be two years or three years from now, but at some point fairs are going to remember and say, like you might say, I think this is the year we bring conjure in, or I think this is the year we do, you know what I mean? And, and it's just yeah. ha- having a relaxed um, relationship, especially in the middle of a pandemic, I think is the way to go. And we wanted to talk about the pandemic on the show today. You know, we're now about 300 days into what they said was 15 days to flatten the curve. Um, take us back to the middle of March, Andrea, if you will. All hell starts breaking loose. South by Southwest cancels, Houston cancels. What's going through your mind as you start to see these major events start to cancel? Well, I think in March of 2020, it was really so unknown, right? It was an everyday thing watching the news and seeing where we were and not quite understanding the severity of what was going on and how long it was going to last. But we were actually in the middle of developing a brand new one day event for St. Patty's Day. So that was going to happen the weekend of St. Patrick's Day. Just, you know, about a week and a half, two weeks when all of this was really going down seriously and having to understand what that meant and quickly pivot off of that was kind of crazy. I mean, your brain was spinning, right? Because we went from 15 days, we're going to see how it goes to, oh no, it looks like they might be shutting down things, but what does that mean shutting down? Okay, let's modify our messaging for this St. Patrick's Day event okay, we've modified two days later, we've now been told, nope, no events are going to be happening. Now we get to start the cancellation process. And I had entertainers booked and having to talk through with them what was going on and not knowing what the future looked like, talking to them about holding off and not necessarily cancellation, but postponement and what that might be. And then on top of that, planning our spring fair in April on the heels of what was going on and needing to decide that, is that going to go? Is that not going to go? What is our governor's office going to say when nationally, like you said, Houston has canceled and other fairs were being shut down, right? Some of them with their doors open, some of them right before their doors open and So it was really heartbreaking to have to be making these decisions and know that you're affecting the livelihoods, not only of our organization, but our partners and our partners, our ride partners, our food partners, our entertainment partners, and not knowing when that would get back to normal. Now y'all run in September. I mean, as things got started, were you hopeful that maybe you would still be able, like maybe this thing would wane out by, you know, May or June and you'd still be able to have the fair? Yes. At that point, we were, we were holding on hope that we were going to be able to still hold the fair in September. You know, we had heard like many others that if we could just hold on and flatten the curve for a bit, the cases would go down and the summer months would help with all of that. And so we were still planning on the September fair and just cautiously 
going into it looking at, okay, are there modifications that we're going to have to make? And what does it look like with different things that were coming out with the CDC and just working with our partners on what their understanding was at that time. Now, like many guests on the show, you're holding out hope that your fair happens, but eventually y'all had to make a decision. What were some of your emotions uh, that you're going through once that decision gets made to cancel the fair? You know, I think for me personally, the, the biggest emotion that I had when we finally made that decision was a feeling of being deflated, a bit of defeat that comes with that reality. I think that you have held on to hope so much. You have planned all the alternatives and you really believe that you could see potentially a way forward for so long that when you finally get to that moment and realize it's not going to happen because it's out of your control, there's nothing that you can do to help the situation, you just kind of feel defeated. And I think it was sad for all of us to know that our consumers, our participants weren't going to be able to gather at a you know 100 plus year tradition. But we also knew at the end of the day that this was the right thing to do at the time. And we have to play our role in being safe and, and not cause any more confusion for our guests or our partners, right? Our partners had to know in enough time. So then they weren't uh, putting more investment financially or with other resources into getting ready to come to our fair. Now, um, looking as an entertainment manager, you certainly must have had to make some phone calls and send out some emails with attractions that you had contracted with. How does that conversation go when you have to tell all these performers that it's not happening? Well, I think one, I benefited from already having to have the conversation with a group of performers for Spring Fair. So I knew a little bit going into the conversations that I was going into with my fall entertainers, what I needed to tell them a little bit more clearly. Two, I wasn't the first fair on the block to do this. So interestingly enough, you know, when you get a call from me out of the blue in the middle of summer and we haven't chit-chatted in a while, nine times out of 10, the entertainer's like, oh gosh, you canceled, right? They gave me the answer before I could even share with them. And I think it is hard because by this time, many entertainers had hundreds of contracts already canceled. And it's a hard conversation to say that I'm not going to be able to pay you. I'm not going to be able to have you perform. And now, you know, I'm on that continued list of canceling your income. And you know, I take relationships very seriously with my entertainers and I, what was important to me that didn't quite happen as well during the spring fair cancellation was making sure that I got out to them before it came, became public and let them know 
because they are one of our partners. And I felt that that was an important thing to do because everyone's going to have a human reaction to that. And I wanted to give them time to address that before it's posted all over social media and everyone has their opinions. So that was kind of a big factor in how I set up the conversations and made sure that I could get to people before the announcement went out. Now, some people that didn't happen, unfortunately, because of timing or messages, but I hope for the majority that, you know, they did have time to process and were able to know what was going on before that went out. Sure. Yeah. I know from my perspective, watching as my cancellations started to roll in that when I finally got notified by OC fair, I think it had gone public um, before we had gotten notified, but I, for me, being more of a veteran performer in the industry, I knew it was coming, especially with the situation California was in, there was no way it was going to happen. Um, but I don't, I don't feel like any entertainment person or fair manager that called me and said, it broke the bad news that in any way it jeopardized a relationship. You know, you talked about how important those relationships are to you, <clears throat> because I think for the most part, none of us there, although there may be some exceptions, um, none of us look at a cancellation and think, you know, well, the fair shouldn't be doing that. And the overwhelming majority of these cases, the fair doesn't have a choice. It's just not an option. You know, they're being told by their states or their local government or health officials to cancel. So I don't think any of us really hold it against our fairs. I admire the fact that you had the, the forethought to think I need to get a hold of these performers before the media gets it you know, and just kind of give us the heads up that I respect you for that a lot. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, I luckily had the fortunate circumstance that we had some planning and time to go into this. I know there are other colleagues in the industry that unfortunately wouldn't, would not have had the time, right? They were just told they needed to get information out. And I don't, I hope I don't convey that the way that I did things was better than any else. I just know that for my relationships, that was important to me. And it was important, especially after us already canceling a spring fair on entertainers. It was just like another punch to the gut, it feels like. And so that was important. You know, I think that we've all learned through this year that we're all in it together. And I think early on though, especially on the early fairs and our spring fair being one of them, there was that question of really you're closing. Why? And why not do this or that and not having a deeper understanding that we all have now, right? We all have the hindsight of understanding what was going on and how chaotic all of this rollout became. But I think in the moment it was difficult to really understand the bigger picture. Well, it's clear that you've definitely got your um, your fair community and your entertainment community in mind, <clears throat> but looking at our local communities and the impacts our fairs have on them, I think sometimes our local communities don't realize just how large of an impact our fairs and our fairgrounds have on their local communities. What do you see as your local community is missing out on during this pandemic? Well, I think... 
there's multiple levels that our local committee community are impacted by fares not going on. You know, for our fare, we are an economic driver for our region. And number one, there are revenue opportunities that our local economy is missing. And I think that does hurt everyone involved. I think that we are the largest gathering place for our community to come and celebrate together in a positive manner. And that takes a toll when you don't get to have your local traditions and celebrations. I think mindset wise and community bonding becomes lacking. And there's that missed opportunity to have that moment and to really get out there and support youth. You know, as our fair, like many fairs, really are a center for youth to come at, to compete, to learn, to show off all their hard work that they've been throughout the year and they had nowhere to turn. And I think that that's a big impact that I don't think people realize as readily as revenue, right? That, that mental health, that emotional support, that just building upon youth experience is a lacking and it is a domino effect because when they come to us, they've qualified through county fairs all summer long. So they didn't get that. So there's months and months of preparation that kids lacked and didn't get. And I think that that's going to have an impact longer than we think without realizing it. I agree. I agree. I know, um, you know, I've talked with other guests on the show about how long we could be looking at before we really get recovered as an industry. And I've been feeling like, you know, we're probably looking at 18 to 36 months before we truly recovered. Early on, I thought, you know, the small fairs were the ones that were probably going to be in trouble. And as we've seen, ultimately, I think the smaller fairs, especially if they just had volunteer boards and whatnot, and little or, you know, if the county owns their grounds, they're probably in better shape. I mean, when you look at a place like Del Mar, I mean, they're the biggest county fair in the United States and they're in deep trouble. What, what do you see as the situation for the fair there in Puyallup? Are you guys set up to weather this storm? Well, you know, I think it's very wise to really think about a recovery being longer term. And we are a private nonprofit entity. So we, unlike some of our other fair family, rely solely on our own income to fund our fair. And we have been greatly impacted, but we have leaders through our CEO and our senior management and our board who took a very, you know, not aggressive, but I would say pretty rapid response to making sure that we are going to be able to weather the storm and made very tough decisions this summer to be able to do that. And probably some of the toughest decisions I've seen in my fair career having to be made to be able to hold out the longevity of the organization and make sure that 24 months, 36 months from here, 
we are coming out of it and we are that healthy economic engine for the community again. And we're also looking to be innovative. And I think you've seen that across fairs across the nation that you can't just sit back and wait for something to happen. We can't wait for the vaccine to roll out and create a healthier environment so we can all go back to live events. We have to be able to pivot and get creative and bring in that revenue to sustain ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I know a lot of fairs have worked on you know, trying to get creative with how they're making some revenue, whether they're able to do, you know, drive in movies or drive through holiday light displays or things. But, um, you know, I was talking to Marla Calico earlier in the season and I didn't realize just how many fairs, I believe I'd have to go back and listen to the episode. So I may be misquoting here, but I believe she said something to the effect of like 80% or 85% of fairs make far more on their non-fair rental income than they do from the fair itself. And so even if the fair doesn't necessarily happen, for a lot of these fairs, their survival is hinging on whether they can start to have car shows and boat shows and all those little events throughout the year. Is that the, do you think that's the case for Washington? You know, I would, I would say we are very dependent on our year round events. I wouldn't say that it over reaches our fare, but it is a, an important factor into our business because we do have an extensive physical grounds that we have to maintain. So when you're not having income coming in monthly to help offset that physical maintenance, it does have an impact. Well, hopefully by the time summer of 21 rolls around, this pandemic is well on its way to being behind us. In the meantime, you still have to plan for that 21 show. How do you and your team go about doing that while you're still in the middle of a pandemic? Oh, great question. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think all of us in the industry are like, we're on plan X, Y, and Z at this point. And you should see the number of papers we have on plans A through T before we got there, right? Yep. Uh, so you just have to really move forward and look at the hopefulness of things and know that though you might not know what's going to happen, you have to plan for the best. And I think that all of us go into it eyes wide open, knowing that it can change on a dime. We've learned that a lot this year. Yep. And so we are planning multiple avenues, right? If, if we have to do this, you know, is that postponement? Is that shortening length of days? Is that changing hours? Is that reducing capacity? Going into it with all of those things in the back of your mind is important. And I think that going into it is making sure that you have transparent conversations. So everyone that's on your team, whether it's a partner or a staff member knows that there's potentially three or four things you're thinking and everyone has to be flexible in that, right? It's not going to be the traditional setup it's, it's going to take some creativity and some new ways of thinking and we're all in it together. And so just having those conversations early and frequently is important. 
You know, you talk about, you know, having to look at things in new ways and, you know, maybe your fare looks a little bit different than it traditionally does. Assuming that you can open in 21 at, at some level, whether it's full and complete, you're ready to go, or it's a partial opening, um, some kind of modified opening. Are you guys looking closely at your messaging for 21 and how you communicate to your guests that this fair may not look like it always does, but by God, we're going to have it. We're going to come together as a community and we're going to do it safely. Yes. I think that messaging is a top priority and there's a great team here at the fair that works on that. And I know that they have been looking at other facilities and what kind of messaging is going out currently about safe start and what is important to guests, right? There was an industry survey about probably midsummer about what was important to people if they were returning to live events. And so we have held on to that knowing that people are going to expect change. They're not going to expect that you're going to operate in the same way. Their, their expectations are that you're going to provide them a safe atmosphere. And we have to be able to effectively communicate that and stand behind it, right? Sure. Not just say the words, but actually operate in that. Right. Right. I mean, this year, it's been a real struggle for everyone. And I know that in speaking to other guests on the show, um, Linnell Smith from Sydney Royal Easter is one example she had concern because when we, at least when we spoke back at the beginning of November, when we started recording the podcast again, at that point, their local government was going to limit their 21 Sydney Royal Easter show to 50,000 people a day, which would bring them in somewhere around 600 or so thousand people for the event. Well, they're used to getting just under 1 million. So her big concern was, how do you take that much of a hit on your attendance and still preserve the brand and give people the brand experience they come to know. Is that a concern for you guys that if you are limited and you have to modify the fair in a certain way, at what point does it look nothing like a, a fair and does it damage your brand if you do that? Ooh, great question. I think that that is an important aspect to us, uh, our brand is a strong brand in our community and we want to preserve that. And I think that that is a major consideration when we're planning. I, I do believe that there's a point in which you can't deliver your traditional brand experience and you have to be able to tell your community that and set expectations up right away. And that might be delivering a different event to them. And I think that San Antonio Rodeo is probably a leader in that right now is that they are planning an event that is different than their brand experience. And they're letting people know that it's going to be different. And they're really spinning it in a positive manner to show that they're doing something this year, but it's going to look different and it's not going to be the typical brand experience. And I think that that is something that we take seriously and we would consider as we move into the spring and summer if we can't deliver on our, our brand promise, then what does an event look like for us? And is it really a festival or something different than our traditional fair? 
Sure. Uh, you know, and in speaking to other people, I think the key to that, like you alluded to, is how you how do you communicate it to your your community? How do you get the message out that says this is what to expect? Um, having done your fair, I have no doubt there will be um, there will be nobody. I don't believe in your community that looks at whatever it is you produce and says, "Oh, well, this is this wasn't what I expected. I'm not coming back." Your fair guests are among the most loyal I have ever seen anywhere in this nation. I think they will be with you as long as you're communicating with them and telling them what to expect. I think they're going to be with you all the way through this. And when it's all said and done, you guys will be, you know, it might be three years from now, but you will be shattering attendance records because people will be so happy to be back with you guys. Oh, thank you. You know, I think we do benefit from that is having a very strong, supportive community. However, unless, like you said, unless we communicate effectively, it can backfire because there is so much heart and passion into our fair. People really feel like it's their fair. So sometimes uh, when you don't deliver on that, they are very vocal on letting you I know, know that. <laughs> I know. You, you know how that goes. <laughs> and so we know that that's important to consider when we get ready to launch our messaging because our people really will let us know. Oh yeah. They let me know when I was there in 2010, <laughs> I'd never been, it was, I'm like a cool Washington state fair. I'm down there on the, uh, f- is it the fountain Plaza stage down by gold? Yeah. Is that where it is? I'm down yep. there with uh, Roberto, the magnificent. We're sharing the stage after one of my shows, I get people coming up to me yelling because the hypnotist that had been there, whoever it was for like five years or 10 years wasn't there. And why did we get rid of the hypnotist? And I'm like, I don't know who this is. I'm the new guy here. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think I just kind of said to him, you know, I'm not sure it was probably a scheduling issue, but if you want to check in the office, I'm sure they could let you know, I'm trying to just be nice. And I'm like, man, these people are passionate. If you make a change, how often do you, I'm curious, how often do you make a change that you think this is just a small grounds act? It won't be a big deal to rotate them out for a couple of years. And then you hear it from your guests. How often does that happen? Oh, you know, that happened a lot more at the beginning of my career because we started going through dramatic changes. One of them being the first year you were there of (laughs) introducing new entertainers and retiring out old ones that had been there six, 10, 15 years. And I don't hear it as often as I did back then. Like I used to get feedback at the end of every fair about like how horrible I was for, and not me personally, because they don't know me, but the fair was for not having X, Y, or Z here at the fair. But because we have now trained our guests that every couple of years, every two to three years, you're going to see something new. And you're also going to see your favorites come back that we've gotten less of that, thankfully. So I would say it's a handful of times over the last five or six years that I get that as much as I used to. Yeah, used that to have was, letter writing campaigns. That, that first year was really interesting. We, we heard it a lot and um, you know, it is what it is. There's a number of fairs that, that do like you all did for so long where you would just have the same acts back for eight, 10, 15 years. And I think people got really used to that. And so I even try to make sure that when I'm I'm booking, that I'm asking fares from that one experience I had at Washington, I'm asking fares. Now, 
how often do you rotate out entertainment or do you guys keep the same? Cause I want to be prepared. Cause there are other fairs around the nation <laughs> like you guys that I've been on that year. They're saying, Oh, but you know, we had the juggler on this stage and he's been here for so long and they're coming at me and I'm going, I don't know who the juggler is. Right. Right. <laughs> it, it is good to know when you're taking over a stage from a tradition and you're the new guy to yes. be prepared. Uh, I think <laughs> it's funny because sometimes as a buyer, we think, oh, everyone wants something new, right? You know, everyone wants something new every year. That's not necessarily the case, right? They come to the fair, the guests come to the fair to really have that moment of nostalgia and tradition oftentimes. Yeah. So there's a delicate balance of offering new items because you hear people say it's the same old fair to having that tradition that they crave that they expect to see Uh, it's an interesting line to walk right on how you book entertainment right but i don't think it's something that's unique to the fair industry i mean if you consider the theme parks when when like it i sarah and i met working at um at Walt Disney World on their college program in 2000. And I know how loyal Disney fans are to those theme parks. And when they announced um, they were going to bring Star Wars land to Disney Studios in Florida, people were like, yes, Star Wars. Oh my God, this is amazing. And then they found out they were going to tear down New York Street and the Force Perspective buildings and all that to do it. And people were like, wait, wait, wait. You can't tear (laughs) that down. It's always been there. You can't get rid of that. Well, it's part of change, you know, <laughs> hopefully what you bring in is better. I know I'm feeling it with Disney because they just Epcot just um, just ended. La- I guess it was last year, early last year, they ended um, Illuminations, the fireworks show at Epcot. And that's been there since I worked there 20 years ago. That was right when they opened it. And it was an absolutely one of the most amazing fireworks displays I've ever seen. And now it's gone. And I'm like, I am grumpy about it. I'm a little, but that doesn't mean I'm not going back to Disney. I mean, I'll go. And I think your well, guests are the same way. They go, oh, the hypnotist isn't here. Well, this fair sucks, but I'm still going to buy a season pass. <laughs> I'm still yeah. going. Well, and I think you just have to allow your guests to speak their mind, right? They just want to be heard. And you do have to move forward and balance up. But I agree. I think it is something we crave in our events and our traditions I mean you can go to sporting games right and if your favorite food vendor is no longer there and they've changed it up it's like wait that's part of my that's part of my sporting event experience where are my whatever and uh they doesn't stop them from going but it does make them pause and want to comment to someone (laughs) And you just have to, as a professional, and I learned this at your fair, you just, even though I had nothing to do with it, (laughs) you just have to sit there and listen. And I think really that's, I think you hit the nail on the head. Our guests want to be listened to. They just want to be heard. And I think if you, you kind of are empathetic to them and listen, then I think you win the day. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So what do you think some of the silver linings have been for our industry through this whole year? I mean, it's been a hell of a year and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. There's got to be some silver linings for you. Oh, I think so. You know, 2020, I think 
individually has taught me a lot just about my own resilience and what I can do. But I think as an industry, it's taught us that same resilience. And I believe it strengthened bonds of why we chose this industry. And there are, I think, stronger relationships between all partners coming out of this. It's not just business. It's a passion of why we do this. It's a passion why we choose to be at a fair rather than a corporate agency or an, you know, a theme park or whatever. And I think that's shown through with all of the support that we've given each other through all of this. And I think that it has also taught the fair industry to be creative again. I think we're all creative in what we do and how we deliver events to the public, but we really haven't had to innovate as rapidly as we've had to do this year. And I think that that really has taught a lot of us that we have it in ourselves to not always do things the same way or think that they have to be done in a certain timeline, that we can make things happen for the public and have a product that they want uh, if we just take a moment to be creative and think more flexibly, flexible with how we go about it. I agree. You know, you mentioned this pandemic kind of revealing to you your resiliency. Um, who are two people who do you think have helped you most through this pandemic? Oh, you know, good question. I don't know if I can pinpoint two people. I can pinpoint two items or things in my life that really have helped me and they're surrounded by people. So obviously the first one is my husband and my family. I think that they have been my support and rock and been supportive with whatever I've had to do with work or my personal life to be able to get through it. And my husband deals with a lot of my crazy creative ideas. I mean, you can imagine. And he's just kind of been letting me do my thing through this year. And I appreciate that. And then uh, I have a group text message with four other girlfriends that has been vitally important. Uh, these are girls that I've been friends with since I was 18 years old and usually see on a monthly basis. And with the pandemic and not being able to see them, having a daily group text where we can just say whatever without any judgment or need to solve an issue. It's a great platform just at the end of the day to be heard and to know that it's a safe spot to not be positive all the time. I think that's something that 2020 has also told me, told me is that I don't have to be rah-rah cheerleader 24 seven, that I need to sit with my emotions and what I'm going through and be able to verbalize that. And that group text has really been a channel for that in a safe spot. That's been, I think, productive at the end of the day. Yeah. I think you kind of alluded in there when you're talking about the text messaging, just how important the tech is. I, I understand right now we're in the middle of January and it's very controversial right now because Twitter's booted president Trump and there's a lot of controversy around technology, but I think when you step back and, and put that on mute and you look at where we're at with tech, it has been a lifesaver this year for so many people. I mean, can you imagine being in the 1918 pandemic 
and you can't you can't talk to anybody. You're completely isolated. At least now we're in a place where when we're feeling stressed, if we need to use that technology to like you do to connect with your group of girlfriends, what a lifesaver it is. Oh yeah. I joke that I'm pretty zoomed out. I don't need to do another video call to save my life. <laughs> However, hence why you kept your video off on this call, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the truth comes out. No, uh, you know, I joke about that, but yet at the same time, I am so thankful for it to be able to connect with people and to have conversation and to know that people are okay and to still be a part of people's daily lives has been very important, right? I can't imagine what it would feel like to be isolated and not have that outlet. And so, yes, I'm very thankful about the technology of, you know, advancements and just grabbing hold of things that were out there and using technology differently this year that has helped us socially through all of this. Yep. And, and I will just say it again, as I've said on other podcasts, I don't think social media changed us. I think it exposed us. I think if you were a jerk before, you have the tools to be a bigger jerk. And I think if you were kind and caring and empathetic and spread positivity in the world, you have the tools to do that. And I really hope moving forward in this year, more people use these social media tools and the technology to spread kindness and, and empathy and positivity. Andrea, I'm glad you could be on the show today. Before we go, everyone goes through a quick round of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. Give me your best answer. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Funnel cake or fried Oreos? Fried Oreos. Favorite concert you ever attended? Uh, I would say Maroon 5. Favorite movie? The English Patient. I'm a romantic. All right. Do you prefer big parties or small gatherings? Small gatherings. On an airplane, do you prefer the window seat or the aisle seat? Window. And last question. If money is no issue, what's the first place you travel after the pandemic ends? San Diego. Why San Diego? My favorite it's my family's favorite place to vacation. It's a, like a little home away from home. We know little nooks and crannies of places to go that are not necessarily touristy. Mm -hmm. And it's the sun and the beach and all of the, you know, easy conveniences. Sure. Andrea, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If folks around the fair industry want to reach out and discuss all things related to fair entertainment with you, where can they find you? They can find me at Andrea T as in Tom at thefair.com. Uh, I always check my email. It might be slow, but I'll get to you. Andrea Thayer, Entertainment Director for the Washington State Fair in Puyallup, Washington. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me today. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.